this is fine as it is. Thank you to my life group for yelling a whole bunch. <laughs> and thank you all for, for joining us tonight. I'm so excited that you're all here and that you chose to spend your Thursday night evening with, with us. And in case you don't know me and haven't, haven't met me yet, my name is Ian. Uh, and if you'd like to meet me, feel free to introduce yourself to me afterwards if I don't find you to introduce myself to you. Uh, and a little background about me, I, uh, I'm from Sacramento, California, and yep, Devin, thank you, and uh, I uh, graduated from USC two years ago with a degree in architecture, and since, yep, and since then I, I live and work in Culver City at a small architecture firm full-time, and I work part-time for Challenge, and so a lot of days after work you will find me walking about campus, um, and that's really fun, a huge blessing, and you know, I remember when I was a student before, uh, before I was on staff, and one thing that really quickly stood out to me was the attention to one-to-one -one time that, that challenge gave. And I quickly learned through that um, that the staff really, really helped me out, both the staff and the upperclassmen, and I, I very quickly began to look up to them. I remember from the get-go when I was a freshman, the first guy who mentored me, or as we like to call, discipled me, his name is Dana, and Dana, this guy, he was like the complete package. He was, he was amazing. He, uh, not only was his walk with God strong, he had a servant's heart. He was, he was faithful. He was bold and courageous. And it seemed like I could come to him with anything, and he knew the scripture to, to guide me in the right direction. You know, but on top of that, uh, he was like, he was smart. He was funny. He was, uh, he was tall. He was good looking. He was athletic. Um, literally everything about him, I was like, man, I just want to, I just want to be this guy. Like he was, he was so cool. I remember one time we were meeting up and I was like, Dana, you, you think, you think you could like disciple some of your height to me? Like, is that, is that a thing? He said he'd talk to the, the big guy upstairs about it. Haven't heard back yet, but anyways. Um, and so very quickly I started to think, you know, this guy can, can he really understand what's going on in my life? Like, he's seen so many steps ahead. Can he relate to me? Does he understand what I'm going through? And I think it's easy for us to look at some of the upperclassmen or look at the staff and see them as these just elevated, you know, people. Everyone in my life group is like, no, not Ian. Are you kidding? Um, <laughs> um, and that's kind of the reason why we wanted to introduce this series to you that Eric um, kicked us off with last week looking at, uh, looking at, being a servant and kind of the heart behind being a servant, not being a servant to manipulate, but doing it to love others and love God. Um, this series we're calling Don't Let This Happen to You. Uh, yeah. And so to, to, to kick us off with that, I wanted to ask, who here grew up playing soccer? Like most of us probably, not like, you know, like, like little kid soccer, you know, where the, the ball is basically like as tall as you. Um, I, was, <laughs> I, I was one of those kids. And I don't know about you guys, but did any of you guys have a player on your team where, like, they, they tried hard in, in practice? Like, they were present, they were there, they had a smile on their face. But when it, when it came to game time, it was, it was like they just froze. Like, the ball came to their feet, and all of a sudden, they had no idea what to do. And, and then they kicked it, and it, it went somewhere, and not in a specific direction or to a specific person, but it went somewhere. Some of you guys are thinking, oh, yikes, that was, I was that person. Well, well, if you're not, uh, I was also that person when I was when I was young and first playing soccer. And as much as I enjoyed soccer, th this was this was tough um, because I'd look at everyone else and it seemed to them like, oh, 
Like, they get it. They know what to do. The ball goes to them. They know what direction to dribble. They know what direction to pass. They know where to be at what time. Um, and so it was frustrating for me. And I'd, I'd be tempted to, to think a couple different thoughts. And one of the first things I remember thinking is I'd start to, to question my method. I'd look at some of the other players and go, you know, he, he has those orange cleats, those bright ones, you know? Like, if I had those cleats, I'd be set. You know, I'd be doing all the things he'd be doing. Or no. my, my shin guards are like those lame ones with the Velcro, but like his, they, they like slide down in the compression sock, like real cool like. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, you know, if I got those, then, then I'd, I'd be like them. And so after I'd start to question my method, I'd begin to question the, like, the authority that was above me, that was telling me what to do. I'd start to question my coach. You know, it, it must be his fault. Like, he doesn't know how to, how to train players. Like, everyone else, it, it's working for them. They're getting better, but it doesn't work for me, and so therefore, he must not know what he's talking about. And after that, I'd begin to question um, soccer in general. And I'd say, you know what, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this thing's for me. Like, it's, these other kids are good at it, but I don't, I don't think this is my sport. I should probably spend my time elsewhere. And so I'm not sure if this, if this story resonates with any of you all. Maybe you didn't play soccer. Maybe you played baseball, or maybe you swam. And, or maybe there's some other sport where everyone else seemed to get it, but for you, it was, it was tough. You know, maybe it wasn't sports, maybe it was art. You know, maybe the, the kid next to you in first grade, they're like Picasso, but you got more finger paint in your pants than you did in the paper. And so... <laughs> um, or, or maybe for you, maybe it was academics. Maybe you killed it in high school. You were like the smartest kid in all your classes. You got the best grades. You decided, you know what, I'm going to go to USC and I'm going to study medicine. And then you took your first OCHEM class. <laughs> you started to think, yikes, maybe, you know, maybe it's something about my studying, you know. Or maybe it's, it's the professor. That's what it is. And you think, you know what, maybe it's just chemistry. Like, I'm done with this. Like, I should probably change majors. <laughs> or maybe for you that you felt this way about God. Maybe you're sitting here today and, and you can't remember the last time you thought about him because you remember one time, I, one time I prayed to God and you know, when I was in distress and, and he didn't answer me the way that I, I thought he did or he didn't answer me the timing that I thought and so I figured it's just best not to think about him. He's, he's probably not there. Or maybe you're here tonight and, and you're a student and some of your friends, um, they're starting to get up in the morning and read the Bible every day and, and they're getting stuff out of it and actually they enjoy it. <laughs> But for you, um, that, like, that one day a week, you muster up the energy to get up 10 minutes early to spend time with God. By the time you're pouring your cereal, you've already forgotten what, what he told you. And you don't get how these people are, how their lives are being transformed by him. Because for you, it, it doesn't make sense. Or maybe after your, after your long days of, of classes, of frustrating professors, of difficult group partners, the last thing you want to do after your long day is to go to Freshman Connection or go to Life Group where people are going to force you to talk about deep, vulnerable topics and how, they, how God <laughs> works in those things. But your friends, they're, they're really excited about it. You, know, you just want to go home and, and watch Netflix. In some capacity, you, you, you tried God. You tried doing what he had said, and you didn't see the fruit from it. You didn't see the result, and you've you begun to question his method. God, is this really what you want me to do? Is this really what you've said, and you begin to question God's authority. You know, God, I'm not sure if you really know what's, what's best. Like, if these things don't work, you probably don't know what to do in the rest of my life. And then you eventually begin to question God's presence. You know, maybe, maybe this God guy is not for me. If he's, you know, if he's there at all, he's, he's not with me. 
So these different examples, although they're on a, a variety of different extremes, if you've experienced any one of these in, in some capacity, then you've probably experienced spiritual dryness. And in simple terms, if I would put a definition to spiritual dryness, I would say that it is, despite our efforts to stay close to God, he seems far away or non-existent. Despite our efforts to stay close to God, he seems far non-existent. And spiritual dryness, it can be caused by, by many different things, and it can be used by God in many different ways. But one thing I've noticed in my time in God's Word and in my own life and witnessing other people's lives is that the result of spiritual dryness can be both good and bad, or, or bad. And I think in this case, we're in luck, because whether the result of our spiritual dryness is good and we're strengthened in faith from it, and we have peace and confidence for, through our difficult circumstances, or whether it's bad and we begin to turn away from God, that choice is up to us and about how we respond to those things. I know for me, uh, a time that I've struggled with spiritual dryness was right after something that you guys were all working towards, which is graduation. My environment began to change drastically. I had five years of experience being a student, I was the best person at my job. I knew what to do, and I did it to a high level. Um, I was one of the top students in my class, and I went from that environment to all of a sudden, I am now the worst person at my job with the least amount of experience and had to ask the most questions and was the most confused. I no longer lived in a house with 13 of my best friends where I saw them constantly throughout the day running into them and spent time with them every evening. I now lived in a house with three of my best friends, of which none of us were home at the same time, and so I really never saw them at all. <laughs> Eric gets me on that. Um, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was no longer a student with Challenge, no longer having this team of people who are constantly committed to pouring into me. I was now on staff with Challenge, and I had numerous new and more weighty responsibilities that I was slowly learning how to navigate. Everything was different. And on top of all these things being different, not only so, but it was difficult to begin with. I was trying to balance an, a full-time job, uh, Los Angeles traffic, being on staff with Challenge, um, being a good roommate, a good boyfriend, a good friend to people, keeping up with old friends, making new friends, all these different things, um, and it was, it was difficult. And in the midst of that difficult and different situation, I, I continued the habits and the patterns that I'd learned and developed in Challenge. I continued to spend time with God, and I continued to pray, and I continued to prioritize and commit myself to fellowship, but I noticed quickly that I wasn't getting out of it what I used to. In the different ways I was trying to keep myself close to God, God seemed out of grasp. I was placed um, in a circumstance that was both different and difficult. It was different in that I had to adjust my routine and learn all these things new, and it was difficult in that I had put a lot of responsibilities on me. And when we're placed in situations that are different and difficult, there's an emotional toll that comes with that. You know, I was tired. I was overwhelmed. What happened to me was that I had allowed my feelings to dictate what I thought about God. I allowed my feelings to dictate what I thought about God, and as a result of that, when my life became difficult, I began to forget who God is. So this situation we see frequently in Scripture. One of the most common examples that we have is in the nation of Israel, shortly after their Exodus from Egypt. And so in case any of you guys aren't familiar with the, the story of the Israelites, to give you a little recap, 
the nation of Israel, they were the people that God chose to reveal himself to the world through. And so God created the world, and he created us, and we are his prized creation made in his image. He desires to be with us. And for him to be with us, he had to make himself known to us. And so he first did that to a man named Abraham. And as Abraham had kids, and his kids had kids, and his kids had kids, all of a sudden, we had the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they, they, were, they were a small nation. They, they weren't what I'd call the big kid on the block. Um, and they had been captured and enslaved at this time by a much larger, wealthier, and more powerful nation. Some would say the most powerful nation at the time. And this was the nation of Egypt. And so we're going to look at Psalm 78. And in this passage, it recalls some of the events that we see here and some of the ways that we begin to see God moving in powerful and incredible ways. So we're going to look at Psalm 78, 12 through 16. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day, with the light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought them streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. So to quickly explain kind of what's going on, again, if you're not too familiar with the history here. In verse 12, it mentions that God did miracles in the land of Egypt. What this is in reference to is one of the first things that God did is was he appeared to men named Moses and said, hey, Moses, you should go up to Pharaoh, you know, the strongest dude in the world right now, and ask him to let the people that he has enslaved go. Moses says, okay. And he goes and asks, and Pharaoh says, no. <laughs> so Moses says, if you say no, then my God will send a plague on your people. This happened once, twice, again and again. As Moses continued to ask, eventually ten plagues were put on the nation of Egypt. And so these are the miracles that it's referring to, are these plagues. Afterwards, as Pharaoh's heart began to harden and he still would not let Israel go, God said, okay, Israel, just make it run for it. Just, just, just go. And so they begin to run, and Pharaoh doesn't like that, and so he sends his armies after them, and they're running toward the Red Sea, and once they get to the Red Sea, uh, God, as he says in the text, he parts the water as if it was a wall. I've never seen that. That's very incredible. And he allows for the nation of Israel to, to run through. And behind them, as the chariots of Egypt follow them, they're engulfed in the water. So now the nation of Israel is free. They find themselves on the other side of the Red Sea. And at this time, God tells them that he has a land for them, the promised land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey, as God put it where they can dwell. And he says, I will lead you there. And at the time, uh, God's presence dwelled in this tent. It was called the tabernacle. And by day, a cloud came out of this tent and led them. And by night, a fire um, that was leading them toward the promised land. And as they began to move through the wilderness, through the desert, they got hungry and they got thirsty. And as you see in verse 15, God split a rock in the wilderness where a spring of water flowed out for them to drink. So this sounds insane, right? Like, this is, this is crazy stuff that God was doing. He was revealing himself to Israel in huge, abnormal, magnificent ways. You know, I'd be impressed if I saw God split a lane on the 10 freeway on my way to, to challenge after work, <laughs> let alone split the Red Sea. Um, and so what we're going to do real fast is see kind of a little bit, more, a, a little bit bigger picture of the whole story. 
We're going to go back and read that same, in that same psalm, Psalm 78. We're going to add a couple of verses before and a couple of verses after. We're going to read from Psalm 10, 78, 10, all the way down to verse 19. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made a water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? So what happened? <laughs> Things were going so well, it seemed. God was appearing to them in crazy ways. How did they come to this? Well, let's first look and start to see you know, what actually were they doing. And the first thing that we see here is that they were disobedient. They did not keep God's covenant, and they continued to sin against God. They began to question God's method. They would begin to think, you know, they thought, do we really want to follow in the direction that God tells us? Like, we could probably go a different direction, find a different promised land just as fast. Or, you know, being enslaved in, in Egypt, it wasn't all that bad. We should, we should probably just turn around, because right now I'm hot and I'm tired. We should, we should probably get over this. The next thing we see is that they put God to the test. You know, they would say, God, we've traveled far enough. Can, can we get there already? Can God really provide food for us? You know, they were, they were tired of the food God was giving them and started to say, God, we want, we want different food. Can you, give us, can you give us different food? And they would begin to place their demands on God and say, God, if you can't do what, what we want, then you're, you're probably not there. You're probably not with us. And so, God, if you don't, if you don't answer us here, then, then I don't think you have the strength to do that. They begin to question God's authority. And lastly, they spoke against God. They questioned God's presence. As they came to conclusions to these tests that they were having with God, they said, you know what, God? If you're here at all, you are not with us. So what did the nation of Israel do? They questioned God's method through disobedience. They questioned God's authority as they tested him in the wilderness. And finally, they questioned God's presence as they spoke against him. And so again, we look back and say, how did, we, how did they allow this to happen? After seeing all of these miracles and these miraculous things. So we're going to quickly look at one more psalm, Psalm 106, that has two more references to this same section. Psalm 106, verse 7, we see, When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses, and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. And we see another reference to the same story in Psalm 106, verses 13 through 14. But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their craving. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. And so in all three of these different passages, and the two references in Psalm 106, as well as the 
original back in Psalm 78, there's one word that is used consistently, and that is that they forgot. They forgot what he had done. You know, they gave no thought to his miracles. They did not remember his kindnesses, and they forgot what he had done for them. After God performing miracle after miracle, they did not remember. The second that these miracles and these blessings went away, or even the second that these blessings and these miracles were answered in a way that they did not see fit, not to their ideal, they begin to forget who God was. And now you may be thinking, okay, like if God revealed himself to me in that way, that, that big and crazy of a way, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have forgotten him. And I, I think it, it's easy, you know. It is easy to see that, oh, yeah, God is good. He's loving. He's, he's caring, patient, and kind and on our side when he's sending plagues on your enemies and he's devouring them in the Red Sea as they try and kill you. You know, it's easy to see, oh, yeah, God's on my side. You know, I can, I can do anything. But at this point in the story, they had been in the desert for over two years. And little did they know that they had 40 more to come. And they were hot and tired of walking. Two years of every day packing up their bags and their tents, putting them on their backs, all of their possessions, carrying them, and at the end of the day, putting it back down, setting up camp, and sleeping. Two years of having the same food all, all the time. And two years of moving toward this promised land that God had said, not knowing when the end was in sight. If I was in their situation, I'm not sure what I would remember. I'm not sure it would be on the forefront of my mind. You know, I remember when I was a student, and I had been up all night in studio. I had a midterm the next day. I uh, had roommates that didn't do their dishes. I was, had an on-campus job that took more time than I'd expected. And at that time, the first thing on my mind certainly wasn't, oh, yeah, God's working all things together for my good right now. And so after two years in the desert, I'm not sure what I'd be thinking. And so what we can see from this story is how forgetful mankind is of God. Mankind easily forgets what God has done for them. And this is precisely how Israel got to their place of questioning God. They could only question God's method if they forgot who he was. If they were hesitant that God's method was the best thing for them. They are only able to question God's authority because they forgot who God was, the mighty and powerful creator of this world, who delivered them from the nation of Egypt. And that they can only question God's presence if they forgot that God is a loving and caring God who is with them and for them and desires a relationship with them. I'm not sure about you, but forgetfulness, forgetfulness, it's tricky because it doesn't seem like it's that bad of a thing, you know? It's passive. It's not like I'm doing something wrong, I'm doing harm, I'm doing something negative, I'm just not doing something positive. And so we can see it as harmless. But in the example of Israel, it's very clear that this is not the case. That because they forgot God, it quickly led to disobedience, and that began a slippery slope uh, to forgetting him altogether. When Israel felt like God was far from them, they forgot what God had done for them and forgot who God is. Israel felt like God was far from them. They forgot what God had done for them and forgot who God is. 
And we are no different than the nation of Israel. When we are placed in different and difficult seasons, it becomes easy to let our feelings dictate what we think about God. When our life is good, God is good. And when we feel bad, God is bad. We frequently allow our feelings to determine truth instead of allowing truth to determine our feelings. This is not the only example that we have in Scripture of the scenario of the nation of Israel and spiritual dryness. We have another example where someone reacted much differently to the same situation. And this person is, is David, King David. Now, if you're not familiar with David's story, uh, he was, this was hundreds of, years, hundreds of years later, after they got through the wilderness, they're in the promised land, and God has uh, given Israel a king, King Saul. And at the time, David was just a shepherd, but God was moving powerfully in him after his victorious stories over people like Goliath, the giant, and eventually David was given control over the armies of Israel. And at that point, the people of Israel began to say, you know what, we want David to be king. And this sounds great for David. This does not sound great for Saul, who is the king. And so he thought, you know, I could, I could solve this problem if I just cut it at the source and I, I get rid of David. And so Saul turned the, the armies of Israel against David and began to chase him. And for three years, David was chased from cave to cave by the army of his own people. And we can read one of his recollections of this in Psalm 31. So this is David himself in Psalm 31 writing about his experiences. And we can read in verses 9 through 13. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the streets flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. So I'm not sure about you guys, but if my life was consumed by anguish, I don't know how I'd feel about God. Or if because of the affliction done to me, my strength failed. I don't know how I'd think about God. And if my enemies had turned all of my closest friends and my neighbors against me so that when I came to them, they fled from me, I certainly wouldn't think many good things about God. We have to remember that although this time goes by quickly in the pages of Scripture, David was fleeing from Saul from cave to cave for three years. You know, unless you're a senior or a graduate student, that's longer than you've been in college. And so how does David respond to this? So again, similar to what we did in Psalm 78, uh, to this psalm, we're going to expand it a little bit. And we're going to look at a couple verses at the beginning of this psalm and a couple of verses right after this section I'd love to read the whole thing, but it's very long, and already we're reading is very long. And so um, this is verses 1 through 5, and then verses 9 through 16. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, 
For the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. In your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Down to verse 9. What we read before. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who seek me, see me on the streets flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For here many whispering tear on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. So what is the difference between David and the nation of Israel? Or what is the difference between David and us? Well, let's first begin to look at how David addresses God. And there are many words in this passage that David used to refer to what he believes God will do for him and the words that he, he calls him. So the first thing we see is, be my rock of refuge. And then the next verse, since you are my rock and fortress. And then again in verse 4, for you are my refuge. So here we see that he remembers God to be his refuge, his rock, and his fortress, something stable he can turn to and depend on. Next, we can see at the end of verse 1, deliver me in your righteousness. And then again in verse 5, deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. And then lastly, at the end of the passage, deliver me from the hands of my enemy. Save me in your unfailing love. Here we see that David remembers God as a righteous, faithful, deliverer and rescuer, having unfailing love. So in David's situation, what did he need? As he was being chased by, by Saul through the wilderness, not knowing if he would wake up every morning, he needed a rock and a fortress and a refuge that he could go to. He needed a righteous, faithful, and loving rescuer to help him in time of need. But we can see that in the middle of this passage that it's got to be difficult for him to remember God in this way. So what separates David from the nation of Israel is that he was firm in who he knew God to be. And he wasn't allowing anything to move what he thought God to be. When it seemed to him like God was far away, he remembered what God had done for him and he remembered who God is. He did not allow the resultant feelings from his circumstances to define who God was. But he allowed who God was to determine his feelings. And so what do we see is the result of this? What do we see is the result of David remembering God? Well, again, let's look back at the text. Uh, and so how does he respond uh, to, to who God is? And so in verse 1 we see, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. So if he views God as his refuge, as his rock and his fortress, it's going to be easy for him to find his peace and his comfort and security in him as he takes refuge in him. We see in verse 3, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. He wants to follow God. And again, this is reinforced in verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
So he is committed to following God. He is committed to placing himself underneath God's leadership and underneath God's guidance. And this makes sense if he remembers that God is his righteous, unfailing, loving deliverer. He would want to be led by him. And then lastly, in verse 14, we see, but I trust in you, Lord. Although this may be the last of these examples, I believe trust to be the most significant of these, and I think it's the thing that weaves them all together. Because he would not seek refuge in God and finding his peace and comfort in him if he did not trust that God was. And he would not seek to be committed to the leadership and guidance of God if he did not trust that God would uh, fulfill that role. In this circumstance, David's life is on the line. This is, uh, this is a difficult circumstance that he really needs to be firm on who God is. And so he must have had a strong trust. And, and so what do we mean when we say trust in God? Or what does David mean when he says, but I trust in you, Lord? I think this idea of trusting God is clearly defined in, in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, we can quickly read, uh, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. So when we're in a time and a situation where we're tempted to think, you know what, God, you, you say to do this, but I, I really think that, that this makes more sense. God, you've told me to go this direction, but I really feel like I should go this way. Or God, your word clearly says to do this, but my desires are to go elsewhere. Trusting God means that we, we do what God says. We think what God wants us to think, even when we don't want to, and even when it doesn't make sense to us. And what allowed David to trust God was that David was firm in who he knew God to be that David remembered who God was, even when it seemed like he was not near. And so what was David's result of trusting and remembering God? For him, it was peace and confidence in the middle of his difficult circumstance. You know, I can imagine that when I had a midterm the next day, it seemed like the entire balance of my life was on the line. If I had remembered who God was then, I would have had peace and confidence knowing that God will move through this, and that he has a plan for my life, and he is here for me. And in addition to having peace and confidence in the midst of our difficult circumstances, afterwards, David has been strengthened in his faith, having seen God come through in this season, and he is being prepared and trained for the next difficult season. So we see both that he has peace and confidence in the midst of difficulty and is strengthened in faith for what will come next. And so back to me in my story after I had graduated, I felt stretched. I felt worn, overwhelmed, tired, alone, and exhausted. And during this time, you could have asked me who God is, and I would have told you the correct answer. But throughout my day, from my day-to-day -day activities, the small things, I don't think I was remembering continually who God was. And similar to the nation of Israel, that opened up a door for me to begin to question God. I would have questions that run through my mind that thought, oh man, I'm tired, I need rest. Is God where I should get my rest, or should I seek for rest somewhere else? Man, I, I really need comfort and, and compassion right now. I could seek that from God, but this thing over here, that, that seems really appealing. That seems like I might get it quicker. Or, I need peace. 
Should I find peace in the truth of who God has made me to be in Christ? Or should I simply distract myself from what is taking away my peace? And again, here we see like the nation of Israel, I began to question God's method and I began to question God's authority because I forgot who he is. And so what happened was, even when I was spending time with him, even when I was spending time in his word, spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship, my mind was thinking about something else. I wasn't thinking, here I am getting my rest from God. I was thinking, okay, I have to do this, but I'm going to get my rest you know, later today when I go and do that other thing. Or I'm not going to get my peace here. I'm going to get my peace from something else. Or my companionship from something else. It was not until I remembered who God was that I experienced his presence and his comfort when I was tempted to feel alone. When I stopped seeking for God and other things, my time with him became fruitful. When I was tempted to think that God was far away, I remembered who God was. And I was strengthened in my faith and had peace and confidence in him through that season. And I'm not sure where all of you are at today. I'm not sure what, what is going on and what, what you need. But if you hear this and, and, you, and you're thinking, wow, this, this God sounds awesome. I, the God who's my refuge, who's my rock and fortress, who's my faithful, loving, righteous deliverer. But you don't know who that God is? Well, then I'd encourage you to spend some time getting to know God. Spend some time in, in the Bible or find your life group leader, your freshman connection leader, or another, or another classmate to read the Bible with you and get to know who God is. You know, another thing I would suggest for you to do that has been very helpful for me is to, to regularly thank God. And one thing that I like to do when I, when I have done this is to link thanking God with something that I do every day. This could be whenever I wash my hands, whenever I brush my teeth, whenever I'm walking to class, whenever I'm on my bike, whenever I'm waiting in a line, whenever I'm about to eat food, um, and link that time to thanking God. Because what I have found is when, when I thank God, it forces me to remember who he is. And it sets my mind on the correct trajectory and prevents me from questioning his methods and such. For you, if you find yourself remembering who God is throughout the day, but there's specific things you can see that, wow, this one question, this can really attack me. And in this one circumstance, in this one specific scenario, I can find myself forgetting who God is. Then I would encourage you to memorize a specific and strategic verse. Memorize a promise that God has given you, um, or a verse of God's provision that specifically combats this. I know for me, when I begin to think that I'm overwhelmed. The first thing that comes to my mind is Isaiah 26.3. For you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in him. Or Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And that allows me to remember God and remember, oh, when I'm overwhelmed, I have a God who is upholding me with his righteous right hand. What do I have to fear? And lastly, I would recommend that if you're going through a season that is different or difficult, to tell someone who can point you toward God and remind you of truth and remind you who God is. And so if we all, each and every one of us, when we felt like God was far, remembered who God was, if we simply remembered who he is, what would the community at Challenge look like? 
How would we begin to handle our relationships? How would we begin to handle all the different weights that are put on us? How would we respond and react to people in, in stressful situations? We'd be a very unique, very different group. And so when we are in seasons and times that are, are different and difficult, we're in seasons of spiritual dryness, remember that the result of this can be both good or bad. And it is up to us to determine whether it is good or bad. And so I would encourage you all, when you feel like God is far, to remember who God is. And so with that, I'll, I'll pray and invite the band up. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your love and your grace and your presence in our lives and how you are continually pursuing us and making us new. God, there are so many things in our lives which can distract us from you and which can can weigh heavily on our lives. The different responsibilities that, that college life can bring are many. So Lord, in these difficult times, I pray that we would remember who you are, that we would remember you, the, the peace and the provision and the comfort and confidence and assurance that comes from knowing you. And I pray that as we remember those things, that it would not allow us to stray from you, but that we would cling close to you and see the fruit of knowing you and walking with you. I thank you so much, Father, for all that you've done and all that you are continually doing. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.